out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. And as you know, I'm always playing the finest in indie pop from the 80s, that golden decade. But we also love a special guest. This week it's going to be the turn of the guitarist, Gary Lucas, who I spoke to a few days ago all the way in New York City. Um, He has been a member of just about every band, always played with most people, including Captain Beefheart and then the likes of Jeff Buckley, John Cale, Nick Cave... David Johansson, Lou Reed. Actually, there's a huge list. I won't go through them all. But a few years ago, he also published a book about his time with Jeff Butley um, that came out on Jawbone Press or Publishing, um, titled Touched by Grace, My Time with Jeff Butley. Indeed, and as I just said, that's available still on Jawbone Press and available from all good bookshops and obviously online too. Anyway, this is the interview. And uh, after a bit of chat and getting to know each other, we got down to that exciting question that was those early musical moments. And this was Gary's reply. Gary, it's over to you. Yeah, I think it was, you know, I got a hold of a record by Dwayne Eddy. I don't know if that rings a bell, but he was a twangy Western style solo guitarist who had some instrumental hits. And the one that got my attention was called Dance with the Guitar Man. And, uh, yeah, it really just resonated with me. And I kind of started to listen to Dwayne Eddy, The Ventures. Before the Beatles, they were like a top instrumental-only group featuring guitars. And uh, Top 40 Radio of the late 50s, early 60s. I was just glued to it. I just gravitated, and I'd sit in, before I could read and write, really, I was sitting in a rocking chair in the basement of my parents' house in upstate New York, in Syracuse, New York, listening to whatever the DJs would play. Yes. And I got interactive, I'd call up and vote for my favorite songs. (laughs) I think they just, (laughs) they just... You know, humored me. I don't think they registered as votes for anything. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Excellent. it was, uh, yeah. Yes. So when did, were, yeah. your, were your parents musical? Or did you have a brother or sister who were also musical? Yeah, no. I, I had two older sisters, still do, and a younger brother. And they were given uh, piano lessons, my sisters. I never was. Did they really make progress? Not really. Uh, they liked music, though. I mean, we had, you know, a 45. They had a little player in their bedroom, and they would get, you know, teen hits of the day. We had a hi-fi in the house. I guess this was pre-stereo, maybe even. Nah, they, they probably had it, but we didn't investigate that at that point. We just had it built into a console, a big speaker, and a radio, and a turntable. That played 78s too. So I remember that era into, uh, you know, albums and 45s. I was big on collecting 45s. Yes. From a little record store. My first 45 was 
Jimmy Dean, another country, kind of a country and Western singer, crossover singer. And he had a song called PT 109 about John F. Kennedy, who was a war hero. Uh, and this famous story of him being, I guess, like the ship he was on, the PT 109, was sank by the Germans. But he survived and he saved a lot of crew members. He was heroic. So that was immortalized in song. It was something I heard on the radio, you know, like eh, Big Bad John. Also, the guy, same guy did that. So I love these, you know, and I went shot. I, you know, I, I don't know what happened to them. I guess my mom probably threw them out, but I collected them in a little box. I put numbers on them, you know, you could buy little stickers and index them in the box. Yeah. So, yeah, I, anyway, I loved music, but I really, you know, I particularly liked instrumentals. I remember there was one called Nut Rocker by B. Bumble and the Stingers. It was a pseudonym for Kim Fowley, who went on to produce The Runaways. A lot of people who was a character, I guess, in the West Coast scene. I love Jan and Dean. And the Beach Boys. Beach Boys were my favorite until the Beatles came along. Yes, quite. I loved it. And I share the same birthday with Brian Wilson, June 20th, that I know. Yeah. He's 10 years older than I. So, uh, yeah, I was just hooked on music. And then my father, when I was nine, came along out of the blue and just said, how would you like to play a musical instrument? What about the guitar? So I was, gee, Dad, that's a great idea. <laughs> you know, I'm glad it sounds like a good plan. Yes. But he rented me a very, you know, uh, flimsy, well, not so, it was just a cheap guitar, and the strings were so far off the fretboard, it was quite uh, painful to play it, actually. So I did not, and then I, I had lessons for a short while, but I didn't want to practice because it was painful. And I just stopped for a month or so. But then my parents came back from a trip to Spain with a Spanish-style nylon string guitar, and I made progress there. Yes. I graduated to, you know, <laughs> a 12-string guitar. That's an, I'm getting ahead of myself there. Yes. Well, absolutely. Um, do, um, were, were there any folk uh, musicians that you kind oh, of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I loved, you know... What I mean, I guess folk purists would dismiss, but I love them. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Uh, oh, yeah. I saw them as a boy. The two guys, Paul Stuckey and Peter Yarrow, were phenomenal acoustic guitar players. They were so good. And they made a great sound. And that's how I first heard the name Bob Dylan. They mentioned him at a concert in my hometown. And you saw that uh, I went. I saw Segovia also in that same period. My guitar teacher suggested that, uh, and uh, yes, and did you? Um, yeah, and what about people like was it Davy Graham who was an amazing? Well, I didn't hear them until later. You see, right? Uh, but once I heard him, I was like, wow. I mean, he wasn't played in the U.S. It was only about sixty-eight, sixty-nine. His albums came over as imports along with a lot of British rock. Yes. Which was a thing. I was a collector of records 
very avidly at that point. Yeah. So I checked him out. I loved him. But mm-hmm. I loved Pentangle with John Remborn and Bert Yanch. And I loved all of it, you know. Um, I was a big fan, especially of British guitar players. Richard Thompson? You know. Yeah, I liked him. I liked him. But I didn't really, like, know Fairport until my last year in high school, again, about 69. Yes. I got a hold of their an album of theirs and, and, and thought he was great. And they, Sandy Denny, I thought was great. And, and, oh, yes. You know, I carried on at this point, you know, but my favorite of all of the UK bands, I was big in psychedelic music. I loved this band, Family. Oh, yes. You know them from Leicester. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I uh, saw them actually while I was still in high school, traveled uh, to another city in order to see them. They came near where I live, but not in my hometown. Yeah. And they were really exciting. Uh, I saw some great music there. Also, I saw, you know, Big Brother with Janis Joplin and, you know, and I did was you, lucky. And you, were, and you were based in New York uh, doing No, this... uh, Syracuse, New York, which is about six hours north okay. of Manhattan. Yeah, it's called Central New York. It's really the snow belt. It's in the center of New York State. It's very conservative. Right, it snows a lot up there. It's very Republican. So the and I couldn't wait to get out of there. Yeah, to tell you the truth, I, so I the, had some great times. But were were the sixties? Did that sort of because because in this country and also I was very young at the time, but I've always been obsessed about sort of looking at it and studying it. And and you get this kind of very simplistic idea that the West Coast was all kind of hippie and groovy and listened to the mamas and papas. East Coast was a bit more hard, and you had the you know the kind of velvet underground and that whole sort of Andy Warhol scene and, and people weren't sort of hugging trees so much. So did, were were you sort of at all? um, Yes. Kind of in, in either of those camps, I suppose. Um, I, I guess I love the uh, New York scene. You know, I love Velvet Underground particularly, but, I, you know, not to the expense of the West Coast. I appreciated it all, you know. Yeah. I just was like a sponge. I thought Jefferson Airplane were great. You know, I loved Moby Grape. They were the best for me of the, all of those West Coast bands. They were a real super group, and they just burn out. You know, I could tell you why. But all of their, they made two, three albums. They're unbelievably great. The Birds were great. Yes. And the Beach Boys, you know, I mean, go on and on. And I think there were real, you know, giants on the earth in those days. Everything was like every day there'd be some amazing new group you'd hear about and some album would appear. And you did couldn't access it, you know. There was a whole mystique about it. It was like word of mouth totally and your friends calling you over to, you know, turn you on to something. Yes. My favorite, though, of all of them, i got to say, when all is said and done, was the incredible string band. Oh, my God. Missed out. Oh, yeah. There's still that 5,000 Spirits album I will always cite as my favorite number one album. I think they just were so creative and engaging. Yes. Fantastic guitarists. And, uh, yeah, love them. I know. Water, water everywhere. I can't remember. Yeah. That yeah, was, that no, was... uh, that's right. And uh, yeah, Mike Heron is a Facebook friend. 
Yes. I never did see him, you know, unfortunately. And, you know, I've been up to Edinburgh where he lives. And, uh, you know, the word was that, oh, he wants to come and see you, but he, he can't. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'll meet him someday. Yes, but, absolutely. But, uh, you know, I've met a lot of my heroes and I've played with a lot of my heroes. So. Well, quite. And, and I know yeah. da I know David Bowie was a particularly big fan of um, yeah, the Incredible Street great. Band. And there was another really obscure band called Comus that not many people have heard mm. No, of. I know them. Yeah, I know that guy. Yes. I mean, I know who he is. Yeah, really good. Yeah. So really during good. so as, as the 60s came to a close, again, kind of on the simplistic level, it all seemed to end mm. on a bit of a downer because of so many, you know, three major yeah, deaths and then you had Altamont and, and Woodstock, though that became so brilliant because of the film. I mean, that was also quite a disaster really for for, oh, for the organisers and um, anybody who was there kind of got out alive, mm. which was quite... And then the 70s came along and there, there was a sort of a bit of an odd period and then you had that kind of glam kind of scene that started with people, I suppose, in the UK. You had bands like The Sweet and... I don't know. Slate. I liked them. I liked them very much. <laughs> I thought they were great. See, I know what maybe strikes you as being corny in the UK. For me, it was an Anglophile. And I was a bit, I mean, I used to subscribe weekly airmail. It was very expensive to Melody Maker and Disc, you know, yes. back in the day. Yeah. I wanted to know when I was ordering 45s out of a specialty record store called Dobell's, I think, in Charing Cross Road. I got, you know. Yes. And did people yeah, like so. T-Rex? I mean, because he'd started as very sort yeah, of folky. Yeah. Well, I had a poster of them on my wall in, like, you know, junior high school. thought they were great. Yeah. And during all that time, were you still sort of avidly, because you were going to college at that kind of early 70s, were you also sort mm. of playing guitar and sort of trying to... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got an electric guitar at the for my bar mitzvah. I was brought up as a Jewish person. I am Jewish. And uh, we have a ceremony at the age of 13 where you read a passage from the Torah, which is Holy Scripture in Hebrew, and they have a big ceremony at the synagogue. And then there's a party usually for your friends and your family. And you get gifts. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's supposed to announce that you've come of age as a man when you're 13. It's kind of ridiculous. But, uh, and my father gave me a Stratocaster when I was 13 for my bar mitzvah in 1965. But I couldn't really get a decent sound out of it. I just, I didn't know, like, what to do about that. So I got bored with it. I wasn't very happy with the sound and he sold it and I got it in a 12 string acoustic guitar, which then became my favorite guitar for a while. And the strings would break and I wouldn't replace them. And, but I was playing all sorts of droney raga things on this guitar. Yes. At that point I was hearing the Yardbirds. Uh, well, Jeff Beck was one of my heroes and then Paige and he was doing stuff. I think he got it from Bert Young. Yes. But he was also doing open tunings. And so this all fed into the mix, you know. Basically, I liked it all. There were some groups I missed totally. I just didn't get or hear. But, uh, you know, I think I was lucky in the choices I made with my 
impulses, you know. Yes. Which were definitely on the side of what they, you know, now call prog rock. Oh, okay. You progressive went... rock. Well, you know, not as much as the all of the band cited in the new book that Mike Barnes, my friend, came out with. I got a copy of that, and uh, but I liked most of them, you know. Yeah. To a degree. Yeah. So was some the... more than others. Well, yes. Well, I, I got uh, my brother's a bit older. He's seven years older than me, and so he uh-huh. he was very much into that. Yes, and Genesis and Wishbone Ash and. Uh... Yeah. See, like I, I didn't like. I mean, I got the records. I didn't love them. I didn't love uh, you know Yes so much. I respected them technically, but it didn't resonate with me. Genesis either, not that much. It was a little bit too tricky and arch and. You know, I just didn't, uh, whereas family, I loved, you know, I got that. And uh, they were really progressive, too. But apparently Roger Chapman says we never were a progressive band. <laughs> he dismisses the whole notion of it. So yes. go figure. No, no, and I like King Crimson when they started, too, I, you know, their first several albums. Yes. So uh, I like the Moody Blues. I thought they were really good. Uh yeah, um, uh, because I mean, I, I always remember David Bowie saying when he, because he did some stuff in the 60s, which, to be honest, is pretty dreadful. And you wouldn't have ever listened to it now if it hadn't been for his next work with in the 70s and and beyond. Mm. Because, you know, when he was released and that stuff in the 60s, I mean, you're thinking, God, the Beatles, the Stones, Hendrix, the Kinks, and, and I, God knows who would have bought that. But then he, he, you know, he had a huge transformation in the 70s and got uh, Ronson, Mick Ronson. And, and, yeah. and, uh, Bowie always said he was looking for his Jeff Beck and obviously got it with Ronson. Well, he was, yes. And I saw their first show in New York at Carnegie Hall. I came in to see it. I was at university. Although we were up in the nosebleed seats really right. far away. So it was like a distant event going on. But I thought he was great. I championed him. I played him on the radio. Yeah. I loved Roxy music. And I did play with Brian Ferry, yes. you know, yeah. So, so it's so yeah. so you did your your you got your you know degree in the sort of early seventies seventy four. Then then seventy four, sort of, yeah. So then, what happens Sorry. for the rest of the seventies before you make me? Well, camp? I went away after graduation to Asia, to Taipei, Taiwan. Uh, it's a long story, but I was theoretically there working for my dad who had import-export business going on out of Taiwan and Bangkok. and uh, But really, I was just sort of having fun. <laughs> I was, I had a band. I put a band together that had Chinese musicians in it and had adventures. And, and then, uh, that, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a long, involved story, but... I think I, you know, I'm working up to telling this in a book. Right, good. That I've been working on, yeah. Yes. Uh, so I don't want to spoil it because, uh, but you know, there's some spoilers <laughs> I can tell you, but I'll save it for the book. But anyway, I came back in uh, early '77. I got married to my Chinese girlfriend, and uh, moved to New York in May or early June, and. Uh, in the meantime, you know, I'd met Beefheart. Uh, I was a fan in high school, and then I really got hooked, and then I saw him play, and I made a promise 
if I ever played with anybody in music, I wanted it to be him. I wanted to be in his band. And uh, I interviewed him. I wrote about him. I played him on the radio. I was a DJ when I was in college. And then he asked me to join in 80. And in the meantime, you know, I got a job at CBS Records writing pretty dumb advertising copy for all the groups. And a lot of, you know, any artist they suggested, even, you know, classical jazz. I mean, it was all the same. And some of it I really liked. A lot of it I just thought, you know, there's no reason for these groups to be. (laughs) <laughs> existing but anyway you know they were making money some of them for the company so yes i went along with it and it was an insider's you know job so i saw the machinery of the music biz working in the offices you know the largest multinational record company in the world so i saw a lot of bad behavior i saw how disrespected most people who worked in the company were you know, or disrespectful to the artists. And, you know, it was a cautionary tale. Yes. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was a decent job, which allowed me to stay in New York and, uh, you know, set up here with my uh, new bride, my Chinese bride. And uh, then, you know, after a long period of dialogue with Beefheart, Don Van Vliet, thanks to CBS, I was able to use their phone service. <laughs> as much as I wanted, nobody seemed to check on it. They, you know, done me or say, you can't do that. Everybody was making long distance calls all over the world <laughs> on the corporation. <laughs> yeah, I think they were paying a flat fee, you know for their employees to do. Anyway, I did this for years, so I I was on the phone with him a lot every day for a number of years, for hours, because he was pretty fascinating conversationalist and and amusing. And anyway, he asked me to join, and I jumped at the chance, and then he asked me to manage him with my wife, Ling. And I said, I'm not really a manager, but he said, well, I don't trust anybody. I think you can do it. So I reluctantly did this, but I wanted to help him. So yes. it was a labor of love. Mm. And it, that's how I got into, you know, becoming, you know, first off, well-known as, you know, as, a, as an exceptional guitarist. Uh, through He gave me a solo piece on the album, Doc at the Radar Station, which came out in 1980. And then we toured in... Europe and the UK and in America, and I was on a lot of the tour. Yeah, certainly all through the European and UK dates. And I had a spotlight in the show. Some of it's on YouTube. You can see it, and you know, you can look it up. And also, I mean, because he'd gone from the album before that, Shiny Beast, to the this this one that you were on, which is the Dock at the Radar Station. I mean, did um, I mean, was there? I mean, you sort of coming into the scene, I mean, he'd obviously been around for quite a while. How did that sort of dynamically work with, you know, like the general setup and the other members of the band? Well, they were accepting. There was a little bit. I, there wasn't really any rivalry or resistance. They were nice guys. And he had told them about me. And how it worked was 
on that first album, I was a special guest. I came out for a week. I went right into the studio. I think right from the airport recorded the solo piece, Flavor Bug Living, and then played or added a part on French horn on another track, just a little brief line. And then observed him and hung out with him for that week. Yes. And I, it was wonderful, you know, and then toured with them and came out and did that. And this other song, Her Eyes Are a Blue Million Miles, as a you know member of the band, extra, you know, special guest. And yeah. read uh, his poetry on stage, too. So I had a role in it and looked after his publicity. And I would say that record really was kind of a comeback for him. Yeah. Certainly put him back in the public eye. And we got a lot of media breaks. And he was on David Letterman's show, Saturday Night Live. So I set a lot of that up. Yeah. And I continued with them on the final album, Talk at the Radar Station. And by then he said, I want you in the band as a full band member, not just a special guest. So again, he sent me music. I learned it in New York. Some was very difficult to learn, some of it. And then went out and recorded it and then rehearsed with the band. And he gave us more music and we integrated up stuff he had taught them independently of me. That was one way we did it. Other stuff was created on the spot with all of us in the room with him in a rehearsal studio. He was a sculptor, you know, a lot of his methodologies were unorthodox, to put it mildly. (laughs) Yes. And can you remember much about the talk, you know, when you came to the UK? I just wonder if you came to Norwich at all. It's Uh, probably a blur. We did not, but I'll tell you, Norwich is where my lovely English wife went to university. She went to UEA. The UEA? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. She's a philosophy, a graduate student of philosophy and got her degree there. Excellent. I I never have been there, but I swear the next trip to the UK, we're coming up to Norwich. Maybe we can meet. Yes. And uh, I want to see the, is it the Cotswolds? I want to go there. The Cotswolds? Well, they're slightly, you know, but, you know, there's a lot of kind of historic places. So so did you... so yeah, what, what's the main, what, what do you, the Fen country, is that up there? There's the what's Fens. What's the area around, yeah, around Norwich, it's beautiful, right? It's, it's the Fen, um, there's the, the, the Norfolk Broads as well, which is a lot of water. Norfolk, yeah. Norfolk Broads. And there's a lot of stately homes and nice parks. Right. It's very green. So we got to do it. Well, Mike Barnes, I believe, is from Norwich. Yeah. The guy who wrote this, uh, the progressive rock book. That's oh, come out called uh, a new day yesterday. A new day, yes. I've, I've yeah. A new day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, check that out. That's I will good. check it out. But yeah, so so working with the captain, you know, because I've done a, a couple of interviews with dear old John Drumbo French because he's come to the right. art center a couple of times with the Magic mm. Band. The, oh, yeah. the second time there was less of the magic band, but there was definitely him. <laughs> well, that, there is no magic band, I'm told now. No. I guess, I don't know. Look, I, I was with them for two years. I enjoyed it. and uh, Yes. You know, it wasn't the easiest gig I've ever had in the world as far as trying to tour with these guys. No. But, and, you know, we made a very good, you know, I played a Glastonbury. You know, I, I had some great memories of it. So. Yes. I mean, John, John, John did seem like he'd been quite disturbed by the whole experience of working with the captain. And oh yeah, I don't think he's. Yeah, yeah. 
let's just draw a discretionary veil. Yes. I don't want to say anything, no. you know, because <laughs> he's not here to defend himself. But no. uh, I think he had a lot of, you know, issues with Don. And I understand it. And I didn't live in a house with him. But, uh, and I had my own issues just trying to work with him in New York and take care of him when he was here. But, uh, you know, I, I have good memories. I'm trying to just accentuate the positive and just dwell on the good. Yes. Now, life's too short. You know, it's, it's like I, I have a lot of baggage to, with other people. I've worked with in my career myself. So, <laughs> so yes. You know, it's not easy. I just say, you know, to work in a collaborative medium. This is why I'm basically solo, you know, on our tour. is because I have just less arguments or I'm on the front line of everything as far as decision making. So, yes. You know, yeah. So then, but when you're traveling as a band, it's a whole different thing. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the people that I've, um, I speak to who have been in bands, and a lot of these are sort of from the 80s. There's a particularly sort of scene, I suppose, that happened during the 80s that people like John Peel, the great DJ that we love. Oh, was a great guy. Yeah, yeah, no, he played me on his last couple of shows. Yeah. And I he, met him, and I, yeah, great guy. He was amazing. But most, most bands, you know, have a five-year narrative, and, uh, mm. you know, f you know they, they sort of get together, they make a bit of a sound, and then a scene, they get a single and if it's kind of a bit quirky and different John Peel you do, used to play it and then he'd do a, a John Peel session which was really big and then they'd get a first album that was generally right. good, the second album a bit tricky and what most people in the UK often say is that if they ever toured America they would come back and I could guess what they were going to say they would always say and then we broke up because America kind of finishes you off Yes, so it could, yeah, unless you really conquer the universe of America, it's, I'm sure it's stressful. It's just vast distances to cross. Yes. Yeah, you know, I mean, it just eats up all your time. And then you have to, you know, collect yourself and then play as if your life depended on it. And then it's like, boom, next. Yeah, yes. it will drive people crazy. It's not a natural way to live, that's for sure. Yeah. So then when you when you sort of, you know, the part you sort of um, went or uh, parted with Don, um, yeah. Captain, what happens next then with your sort of musical career? Uh, well, when I quit, which was in 1984, I said, I want to continue. I love making music. What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And uh, I got uh, involved with the band called The Wooden Tops, led by Rollo McGinty. Oh, yes. Yeah, and uh, that kind of, you know, rejuvenated me. That was fun. And then I hooked up also with my friend Adrian Sherwood. Yes. Yeah, and so this is, it brought me back into music, working with those guys. Did you come back to the UK to play, or did you come to the UK to play with them? Uh, yeah, but I was a guest on their albums. I didn't do any touring. Yeah. So... Uh, it was very much like, okay, we have Beefheart's guitarist here. You know? Yes. And that, that was fine. You know, that was good. But I was really itching to figure out a way forward for myself. But, you know, I had that day job and it just seemed so daunting. And then eventually I got uh, the impulse to do my own music in 88 someone said you should play at this club called the knitting factory which had just opened up 
And uh, they dared me to do a show. And I finally said, okay, let's see what happens. Yeah. So I put a little set solo together and went out. You know, everything went wrong in the run-up to it. They left my name out of the ad. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, it's going to be a disaster. But I put a few, like, notices around on the Xeroxes in that neighborhood. And lo and behold, I went to play the show. It was, like, June of 88. There's a line going out the door of the club around the block. Right? So I'm like, whoa. And then I was I played in a trance. I got a several encores, then they handed me $600 off the door. And I said, damn, this is what I should be doing. I should have yes. been doing this for years. Well, I, now I'm really going to get busy because, <laughs> you know, I don't want to. Anyway, so that's how it started. You know, that was like changed my life, that gig. Yeah. Came back and said to my wife, I'm going to, I'm an idiot. I should have been doing this for years. And now I'm going to like work as hard as I can. I'm going to play my way on my day job. I can't stand this stupid copywriting job. And that's what I did. Yeah. But then, but, but then you started, but you've always played with lots of other people, including there's an artist that what, I thought she did one of the great albums of the 80s, Miss America. That was Mary. Mar oh, yeah, Mary. She's great. Um, yeah. So well, what, that, what album did you play on or track? Oh, I'm a, I did some collaborations with her. Um, there was an album of a Canadian poet, Paul Haynes, who I wasn't really familiar with, but he wrote the lyrics to the Escalator Over the Hill album that Carla Blay made with a lot of musicians. I don't know if you're familiar. Hmm. She was a jazz rocker. Keyboard player married to Paul Blay, this Canadian jazz pianist anyway they did one of the early kind of like big fusion big band albums i think in the uk you had groups like centipede yes yeah it was sort of like that with like all-star guests and the guy from the mothers of invention and you know jack bruce is on the record from cream yeah it was a producer's type album i guess yes absolutely so uh I was asked to play on that by the producer, Kip Hanrahan, who was someone who probably should be better known, but he was like Hal Wilner, if you know Hal. And uh, yeah, that was great. So I met Mary there and we clicked. While she was in town, I got her to sing on a, one of my songs in the studio. And it was beautiful. It's called Poison Tree. Ooh. And it's on, I believe, my best of, I just got in copies of this new double cd retrospective the essential gary lucas which is a 40-year retrospective going back to my beefheart days excellent that'll be out well i just it was supposed to be out may 1st but because of the madness i've delayed the release again yes this is true because i don't want it to come out in this period it'll just get lost Yes. But I'll be happy to send you a copy Excellent. or an EPK. Yeah. <laughs> and you can hear it, you can stream it, but you can't share it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah. And also, um... and that'll fill you in a bit on my history because I wrote, you know, I annotated some of the liner notes. And yes. Th there's, yeah, you know, a good essay there. 
Absolutely. And did you, I mean, yeah. as, as we sort of went from the 80s to the 90s, you then had your Jeff Beckley, Buckley period. I mean, did oh, that, yeah. did that yeah. sort of, how did that develop? And, and come well, on? see, I'll tell you, I was always a fan of Tim Buckley's. I thought he was great. And uh, I never saw him, but I loved his music. I bought his records. So Tim... Uh, Buckley, there was a tribute to him that my friend Hal Wilner put together with a lot of guests. And Hal called me and he said, I'd love you to be on this. At that point, I was making a singer with Julia Hayward, who was Laurie Anderson's first partner. Oh, yes. Before Laurie Anderson got well known, Julia and I got a record deal as Gods and Monsters. That's why I left my day job. I got signed in 90. And I started doing these shows at the Knitting Factory, and then I was asked to play in Holland, and I got a fan base thing going there and in Berlin. So I was eager to start putting records out and to leave my day job. And then they made an offer because they thought, you know, we'd get signed by another label. So I signed to CPS in 90, left the day job, and was working on this record with her, but we, it wasn't going very well in that period with Jeff when he showed up. And uh, actually, I'd been thinking, I need to be working with a male vocalist. You know, I'd rather do the, something like Led Zeppelin. Yes. So then Jeff walked in, you know, and I, got, I met him. And he was like, Gary Lucas, I can't believe it. I love your work. I read about you in Guitar Player. I loved you with Beefheart. I watch you just now. You know, I was at a rehearsal in the church where we did this Tim Buckley tribute the day before, two days before. I want to work with you. And I was like, yeah, this is great. This, and then I invited him over and I heard him sing. I gave him a mic and we did one of his father's songs. And I was like, oh, my God, Jeff, you're amazing. You're a star. And he's like, really? I am? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. Hey, and then I took him out to lunch. I said, I got this group. You want to consider, you know, I'd love to work with you. I just saw, you know, a lot of possibilities open up. So he was intrigued. He loved the name of the band. My female singer hated it. He thought it was sexist. And uh, we were fighting about that. Now there's all sorts of stupid stuff. And uh, Jeff was all positivity at that moment. And then we wrote a song together right after lunch. And that was amazing. And I was like, yeah, this can work. So that's how I got involved with it. Yes. Yeah. That it was, was kind of magical period. Definitely. And everything you but did. But then it all went, you know, to, <laughs> it went to hell. I mean, I went on a tour of 20 shows in 21 days with the Knitting Factory artists. They mounted a whole tour of Europe. Nothing in the UK then, but my first tracks came out on a sampler album. We were getting great reviews and The Wire and other places. I arranged to have my first solo album out on Enemy Records. It was all me, basically live in Holland and elsewhere. Got five stars in Q. Matt Snow wrote and said, you know, a new guitar god is here. And 
And then the whole thing just, you know, I came back and uh, I called up to find out what was going on with my Columbia Records pop album with a female singer. And they said, we've decided to drop it. They put the junior A&R guy on the phone. And he was so, you know, insulting. And he said, I really, you know, you must have heard. I didn't know. I said, how can you do that? We have a contract. He said, you can't afford to sue us. So it's like, right, how cold, you know. Crikey. Then I called up Jeff, and he said, I'll be your singer. So I was relieved. Then I wrote in a week music that was became Grace and Mojo Pen and sent it to Jeff to work on. He came back and did these demos with me. The magic happened in the studio. I have a book all about this period. You should read it. It's called Touched by Grace. My Time with Jeff Buckley. It's an English publisher called Jawbone. They published it. You could read that. It'll give you a, a lot of information. Yes. Got four stars in Mojo on this book. Anyway, so... Uh, that was it, and then you know, there was ah, without going into it. You should just read the book. <laughs> it's a it's a big effort for me to have to recount this. Yes, you know it's painful. So anyway, listen, I have to go in about six minutes. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, we could spend hours on this. I'd love <laughs> to tell you my life story. But, well, I know because because that was yeah. just the nineties. I mean, I mean, so, yeah. so so really, I mean, just briefly, you managed to sort of bounce from one project to another with phenomenal, yeah, stamina. Well, uh, yes, no, I, I I just kept going. I was like, I'm not going to be defeated. My father used to say, when you get handed a lemon, make lemonade. The trick is to just keep going and try and stay positive. You know. Put as much work out as possible. Tour as much as possible. Never say never. Don't never say die. You know. Yes, absolutely. Just keep going in a positive way, and that's what I've tried to do. It hasn't always been easy. I've had depressions like everybody else when things slow down, and you feel like, what is, you know, what am I doing, or why am I doing this? Yes. But I just kept it up. I know. So here I am. And I'll keep on doing it as long as they'll pay me, you know. I won't take any old gig, you know, but, you know, it's challenging. The whole circuit, as I know, this is like French, is like pretty fed up with it, too. I mean, you know, audiences being what they are, there's only so much, you know, money and headspace people will give to artists who are, you know, unless you're like really super commercial. Yes. Flavor of the month artists, young people, you know, resonate with them. But, I don't you, know. but you've got um, a compilation coming out, which is going to. Do... Yeah. So let's, I just hope the timing, you know, I, I hope it's going to get some reviews somewhere. I don't know. I had Mike Barnes try and pitch it. I don't. Let's see if he had any success. But then, I've delayed the release. I got to write David Stubbs. He's another friend of mine. To just say the release was delayed. He was supposed to write me up for the Quietus or the Quietus. Or yes. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard, man. The Wire should be doing something. But whether they will or not, I don't know. I have a, always a sinking feeling these things will fall through the cracks. So. I'm trying to be positive. Yes. So this, the virus hasn't helped, you know, with the confusion. Well, Everybody's no. like freaked. 
Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you did have some dates lined up this month and next. Yeah, I had to postpone them because they're, for, you know, now Boris, you know, you guys are in lockdown, right? So yes. virtually. And um, yes, so no and... one would come and they canceled, you know, groups getting together. I was supposed to have Anna Cowley at my show to do Grace. She's a great Buckley fan. And, uh, you know, she can't come. She was going to tour in America. And, uh, yeah. Yes. Is it the, uh, so theoretically, towards either the end of the year or sort of. Uh... I hope earlier than that, you know, optimistically, we were like, well, the Troubadour, we may open in July. We'd love to have you there for a gala reopen. <laughs> Maybe then. I don't know. Yes. I can't predict. Nobody really knows where this is going or how long it's going to last. I think Trump is a little too optimistic. Like Easter, we're going to be back in business. <laughs> the U.S. That's what he said. He's on right now. I think I got to go watch this. Yes. Let's talk again soon. I'll be happy to tell you more. Okay. Okay. Look. To be continued. To be All continued. right. I, uh, yeah. Very nice too. Take care. Take care. See you Bye later. Bye bye.